Give somebody a hug before you sit down or a handshake or a high five or something and say, Jesus is in the house. How you guys doing? You doing good? So glad you're here today. I trust that that you've had a great week. I know a lot of people are on the road today, so we're praying uh, for traveling mercies for a lot of our folks that have either gone off to family or coming back today or families uh, headed back home today. It's just one of those kind of weeks, and so we thank God for for the privilege of being with friends and family this week. We pray uh, protection over them <clears throat> as we do. Today is, is, is kind of unusual because we normally teach in series around here, but, but we find ourselves right in the middle of two series. We wrapped up last week the series we were calling Grateful, and we've talked about uh, the whole idea of gratitude. And then next week, we're kicking off a whole new series. We're talking about Christmas gifts and the best possible kinds of Christmas gifts. I hope you plan to be a part of that. And, of course, Christmas Eve services here are always very special. So we enter into the Christmas season next week. But today we had a, a, a Sunday that wasn't part of the series, which gives each of the location pastors uh, to, uh, an opportunity to say, Lord, what, what does our congregation really need to hear? What is a message, a word from the Lord that might be a fresh word in season, in context for each of us? So normally we preach the same sermons in all of our locations, but, uh, but this week each of the location pastors had the privilege to kind of figure out what is it their congregation needed. So that put me in a position to pray for you guys more than I ever do before. And as I thought about and pondered about where, where would that lead us and, and what would we do with a message like that, I'll be honest with you, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. I mean, I haven't, I'm accused sometimes of having a microphone in your living room. I don't. I promise I don't. But, uh, but I do have one in mine. And so I thought a study that I've been doing lately that's been helpful to me, I thought it might be useful to you. And so I just want to lean in for a minute on the subject of prayer. Let me just be real clear for those of you that don't know me well. I believe that the most important thing I do in this place is not preach. I I love to preach. I I, I thank you for your encouragements when I do, but that's not the most important thing I do. I don't believe the most important thing I do in this house is lead. You know, I do a lot of leading and and organizing and helping the church to be organized to move forward, but I don't think that's the most important thing I do. The most important thing I do as your pastor is pray. I spend a lot of time praying for you. I take the prayer list and take them very seriously, and I pray over them. And when prayer requests come in, I take a lot of time to pray over them. I think the most important thing I do for you is pray. But it, it raises a question in my mind, and that is, um, if we had the ability to measure how much time each of us spends in prayer on a given day, I wonder what that number would be. I'm not talking about the, the suddenly we hit our thumb with a hammer and said, oh, Jesus. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. I'm talking about the kind where we're actually talking to God, interacting with God, trying to learn uh, something or, or draw something from him or get a need met. How, mu- how much time do you think we rack up in a day, a week, a month, a year? I don't know. I do know Time Magazine did a survey some time ago, and, and they came to the conclusion that 98% of Americans believed in God, uh, and 79% of Americans said that they prayed every day. Interesting thing about that little survey is that of the 2% that claim to be atheists, 10% of them said they pray every day. I don't know who they pray to, but apparently they pray too. The prayer is part of the fabric of the American culture. But, but the question really isn't about how much or how many people pray. The question really is uh, how much time do you think we as followers of Christ invest in effective prayer? powerful prayer. 
praying with confidence that something's actually going to happen. How much time do you think we spend in that? I mean, what comes to your mind when you hear a verse like this one? Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there. It'll be on the screens. You can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along with all the notes this morning if you want to do that. Or, or email me. I'll send you the manuscript of the message later. But for now, let's look at this. James chapter 5, verse 16. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So what goes through your mind when you read that verse? Can I tell you from my experience that in most cases we read a verse like that and we think, who are they? We start thinking of people that we know who pray these powerful, effective prayers. I immediately think of my grandmother who was a prayer warrior, and, and, and you probably think of your grandma or your mom or somebody. We start thinking about people that are doing these powerful and effective prayers. Am I right? Do you have like this? Am I right? Yeah. And, and so, uh, uh, but I rarely run across anybody who says, ooh, that's me. Yeah, that's me. I, I am that person. I am that righteous person who is praying powerful and effective prayers. Am I right? Am I right? You don't think I'm going to do all the talking today, do you? Come on. For most of us, it's we, we tend to attach that to somebody else. So, so let's just unpack that a little bit, okay? First of all, this whole idea of righteousness, if you think he's talking about you being good enough, you miss the whole point because our righteousness is as filthy rags. The only righteousness we have is that which is imputed to us through Jesus Christ himself. So that means all of us can be righteous enough to pray powerful prayers if we just put our trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, so we put that one out of the way. So the only real issue then is the issue of do we believe it? Do we believe that if we have righteousness in Christ that we can in fact pray effective, powerful prayers? In other words, do we have enough faith to be powerful and effective? So here's the problem. We all deal with doubts. Man, it's quiet in here. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. We'll see you. Is it true? We all deal with doubt. Look at somebody and say, I'm sure you don't, but I do. Go ahead. Look at somebody. I'm sure you don't, but I do. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. If everybody has doubts and we all let those doubts stop us from praying, then who's doing the effective, powerful praying? That becomes down to the, to the bottom line of this whole thing is that somebody's got to be doing the praying. Who is it? Now, you don't have to hang around here very long to know that somebody's doing some praying. I mean, the, the amazing things that happen in this house on a regular basis. I told you last week, 222 people have committed their lives to Christ through the ministry of the bridge. This year alone, I haven't even seen November numbers yet. I, we baptized 35 of them last Sunday across our locations. God's doing amazing things. We're constantly hearing about marriages healed and finances restored and addictions broken and uh, Celebrate Recovery is doing some incredible things and people's lives are being touched. We know somebody's praying powerfully. Somebody's praying effectively. But what do you suppose would happen if we all did? What do you suppose could happen if all of us joined the army of effective, powerful prayer warriors? So that's what I want to spend a few minutes of your time on this morning is just kind of unpacking that idea of what would it take to mobilize an army of prayer warriors and I'm not talking about grandma and two or three others whose names you can think of. I'm talking about us. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. Go ahead. He's talking about us. Raising an army of powerful prayer warriors. I think there are three things 
that have to happen. There are three essentials to being an effective prayer warrior. I want to lay them out for you, and then I want to challenge you to join me to do some effective and powerful praying, okay? Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Good, thanks. I don't have anything else to talk about, so I guess that's it, right? The first thing we have to do if we're going to be in this prayer warrior army is we've got to understand the truth about doubts. We've all acknowledged that we have them, and so we need to understand some things about doubts. In fact, there's three things that I think we have to understand about doubts. Thing number one is that if you have doubts, welcome to the human race. <laughs> You're in good company. I mean, go to Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the Faith Hall of Fame. Those guys in the list that made the Faith Hall of Fame had doubts. Did Abraham have doubts? Did Moses have doubts? Did Elijah have doubts? Sure. Even John the Baptist, who physically water baptized Jesus himself when it came to the end of his life and he's in prison, he sent his friends to Jesus and said, are you really the one? I mean, just can I be, just be sure that you're really the one? Even John the Baptist had some doubts. Even the greatest, most effective men and women of God in Scripture had to deal with doubt at one time or another. It's a human reality. So, so hear me, guys. My point is you will not get rid of your doubts by denying them, by trying to fake it till you make it. It doesn't work that way. You've you got to acknowledge them before you can get free from them or rise above them. So truth number two you need to know is that you were not born with those doubts. We all have them, but we weren't born with them. Psychologists tell me that, uh, that the only fear that most babies are born with is the fear of falling. That's it. Beyond that, everything else is learned over time. Now, here's what happens. You tell me if it's true. Sit real still, and, and nobody will know, but... but uh, but we all know it's true. Somewhere, very young in life, we want something we don't think our parents are going to give us, so we lie. Don't look at me like that. I know. We lie. And because we get away with the lie, we get something we probably didn't deserve, and we go, that's pretty cool. I think I'll do that again. So how old were your kids the first time you caught them in a lie? One, two, three, as soon as they learn how to talk. I mean, it's just we're born with a sin nature. That's reality. And so very young in life, we learn that we can lie and we can get away with stuff when we lie. Now, here's where the problem starts is we start looking around and start thinking, well, listen, if I can get away with a lie, then other people can get away with a lie. So who's actually telling the truth? Before you know it, you start doubting everybody around you. Who's telling the truth and who's not? Does this make sense? Is this real? Yeah, it, it's, that's it's just what happens to us. And then we go to school. I mean, all that happens before we even get off to school. And then we get to school and we're taught to test everything, doubt everything. Don't believe anything you can't prove. Before you're very old at all, you've developed all kinds of doubts about the things that you've been taught. Now, add to that, you come to a really cool church that you like, and you look around and you think, Boy, these people have got their act together. I don't, but they do. So in order to be accepted in this place, I have to put on a mask and pretend that I've got my act together so that I'll be acceptable to these people. Hello? Before you know it, we're all kind of walking around with masks on, pretending we have no doubts when, in fact, we've already established that we all do sometimes. It's just a reality of it. But again, if we don't deal with our doubts, we can't get past our doubts. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And so if you want to get past it, you've got to deal with it. 
Because otherwise, what, what was the premise I started with? Otherwise, our doubts keep us from praying. We're back to trusting that somebody else is dealing with their doubts or they don't have any doubts, therefore they're doing the praying. But if everybody has doubts and everybody thinks everybody else is doing the praying, nobody's doing any of the praying. So in order to be a part of this prayer team, this effective, powerful prayer warrior army, we've got to understand the truth about doubts. So let's take the masks off. Let's just be real, real about this, okay? No matter what experiences you've had with Jesus in your life, no matter how many times you've seen prayers answered in your life, no matter how powerfully Jesus has changed your life, we all have times when we question God. Do your heads like this. It's okay. Look at somebody and say, he's telling the truth. Go ahead. He's telling the truth. So if we can't acknowledge it, we can't deal with it. Now we're ready for the third part of this understanding the truth about doubts, and this is the good news. Doubts will not keep you from praying effectively unless they keep you from praying at all. We all have doubts. That's a reality of the human condition. But they don't necessarily have to stop. They stop you from praying powerful and effective prayers unless they stop you from praying at all. Wait, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. Isn't faith required uh, in order to pray effectively? I mean, didn't Jesus say, Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Yeah, that's true. Well, that's why we need to know the second essential to joining this army. The second essential before we become this powerful, effective army, number two, is I must learn how much faith is enough. I start out by having to understand this whole thing about doubt and the reality of it, and then I have to learn how much faith is enough. Effective prayer does require faith, but how much? For that answer, we'll go back to Hebrews 11 again, this time beginning in the chapter, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Can we break that verse down? Let's see if we can pull out the answer to our question out of that verse. You see three parts to it. First of all, what does it take to please God? I heard somebody say it over here. What does it take to please God? It takes faith, right? But how much faith? That's the question. The first thing you have to believe is that he exists. How many of you believe God exists? So you're a third of the way to being effective, powerful prayer warriors already. Wow, good stuff. All right, ready for the second one? What's the second thing you have to believe? That he rewards. That this God who exists has this character trait of loving to give good gifts to his children. This is a God who exists and who gives good rewards, who gives good gifts. So how many of you believe that? Man, we are two-thirds away from uh, two-thirds into this journey of becoming powerful prayer warriors. What's the third thing we have to do? Seek him earnestly, sincerely, for real. Seek him. So simply put, uh, how much faith does it require? You have to believe that he is. You have to believe that he can. And you have to be willing to pray that he will. And if you do, you can be an effective, powerful prayer warrior. So let's say it together, okay? I believe God is. One, two, three, let's go again. I believe God is. I believe God can. I'm willing to pray that he will. Now look at somebody and say, boy, that's cool if that's all there is to it. <laughs> is it? Let's, let's see if it is. 
to do that, let's go back to uh, the scriptures again in the early church. And let me just say quickly that early church in the book of Acts was the most powerful and effective church in all of recorded history. This church burst on the scene with 120 effective, powerful prayer warriors praying. Holy Spirit showed up. 3,000 people accepted Christ that first day. 5,000 soon after. They reached the known world with the good news of Jesus Christ all the way to Caesar's household in one lifetime. You talk about a powerful and effective church. This was it. So let's see what we can learn from them, okay? Let's go to chapter 12, book of Acts, uh, beginning with verse 1. Let's set the story, uh, and then we'll get into it. How it was about this time that King Herod arrested some, arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So everybody got what's going on? Do you guys like this? You, you, you tracking with me? So the, the, the church is, has been rising. Amazing things are happening. The church is exploding on the city of Jerusalem. The religious leaders of the day are getting nervous about it. So they finally grab James and, and pull him in, and they, and they ultimately killed him. That's what they did. They killed him with the sword. What do you think the church did when James was first arrested? I'm just guessing. But I'm guessing that they didn't do much of anything. I'm guessing they kind of had this attitude. They said, well, you know, these guys get arrested. They rough them up a little bit, and they send them out. I mean, it's what happened in Acts 4. They just said, you got to quit. They said, we can't. And they said, well, we can't do anything about it. So they let them go. I mean, so that's what happens to these guys. So I'm not sure they did much of anything. But this time, James, uh, they didn't pray for James to be delivered. But James, in fact, was delivered to heaven. So now their world is rocked, right? You ever prayed for somebody to be healed and they died? Have you? Does it rock your world? Yeah, it does. Many of you know mine and Kim's journey over the last 14 months when our oldest son died of a sudden heart attack 14 months ago. Yeah, my prayer life has been rocked this year find myself praying for you sometimes and, and Satan will whisper in my ear, well, you know, you, he didn't answer that prayer. What makes you think he's going to answer this one? He didn't do what you wanted him to do before. Why, why do you think he's going to do it now? I mean, those doubts slip in and Satan has an amazing way of triggering the stuff in our hearts and produce all kinds of doubts. Not doubt that God is. Not even doubt that God can. But doubt whether he will or not answer your prayer prayers, even though most of us can think of times that he has, when he doesn't come through the way we wanted him to, it creates all kinds of doubt. So we're back to the problem, okay? If we don't deal with those doubts, they keep us from praying. Before you know it, we're back to the cycle of depending others to pray who are depending on us to pray and therefore nobody's praying and more and more of the Jameses get delivered to heaven because nobody's praying. But that's where the members of the other church were when Peter now gets arrested and they go, okay, uh, <clears throat> we better pray. 
Guys, we better call a prayer meeting. And so that's exactly what they did, verse 5 of Acts 12. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church earnestly, was earnestly praying to God for him. Little side note, you know, I've already mentioned the church exploded. Thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ in this short period of time. And, uh, and they call a prayer meeting. But they met, apparently, at John Mark's mother's house. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that if they met at John Mark's mother's house, thousands of people didn't come to the prayer meeting. Maybe a handful. You know, some things never change. It's amazing. You can have a hullapalooza and give away free candy and a thousand people show up. You can call a prayer meeting and get a handful. Nothing's changed. But I want us to focus on who did come, okay? Let's don't worry about the people that didn't. Uh, we want to raise up the people who will. But let's focus for a minute on the people that did. i got to adjust this microphone. I bumped it. Sorry. So they start praying. They're praying around the clock. They're praying night and day. And about the third day, an angel of the Lord comes. He puts the guards to sleep and just walks Peter out of the jail, right out of the jail, right down the street, right down to John Mark's mother's house where they were gathered in prayer. So let's pick up the story in the scriptures there, okay, as Peter approaches the house where they're meeting. Verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Oh, that's great. Peter just escaped from jail, and she's so excited, she left him in the road (laughs) and went inside and said, hey, guys, Peter's out there. I said, ah, Peter's out there. We've been praying, and he's out there. What do you think the church did? They broke into revival, didn't they? You think that's what happened? Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So what's wrong with these people? They're in there praying. The very thing that they're praying for has happened, and they didn't believe it. I can't believe that. Or can I? I mean, let's don't be too hard on them. Remember, they've, uh, James has just been killed, so they're kind of halfway expecting that Peter's going to be killed too. And besides, we can relate, if we're honest, because again, we, we get answers to prayers, and what do we do? We go, wow, look what God did. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I've been doing this a long time, and I've prayed for an awful lot of people, and I still am never, I never stop being surprised by the awesomeness of God when he shows up. When another person tells me another story about life change, I got all over again. I'm astonished all over again. It's an amazing thing. The book of Luke talks about Jesus and his, and his disciples when they were traveling, and the Bible says that they were both astonished and afraid. They were afraid of what the crowds might do. They were astonished by what Jesus was doing. And it strikes me that if you're following Jesus, you might just live in that astonishment and fear all the time because there might be a little bit of stretch in your comfort zone and there might be a little bit of amazement of what Jesus is doing. And so here they are amazed that he's actually done what they prayed for. Hear me, guys. We need to come to that place where we understand what the early church understood to be a powerful, effective prayer warrior, you don't have to know what God's going to do. You just have to believe that God is, that he can, and you're willing to pray that he will. That's it? Yeah. In fact, let me, let me just be real, 
I'll throw this in for extra. You don't have to put any extra in the offering plate for this one. Uh, those pious people that tell you they never have any doubts will lie to you about other stuff too. But you can still be a powerful, effective prayer warrior even though you have this human thing called doubt. They did. It happens all the time. It's human to do that. In fact, the Bible says it's good to question. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, prove what? All things. Hold on to what is good. You ought to stop and question. You ought to, you ought to doubt the thing that comes and just, just check it against the Word of God because at the end of the day, my experience isn't the final deciding factor. The Word of God is the final deciding factor. The Bible is the owner's manual. And so we ought to stop and say, is this... Does this line it with Scripture? I don't care what my experience is. Does it line it with Scripture? I'm not asking how I feel. Does it line it with Scripture? You ought to prove all, all things. Now, hear me. The problem with ineffective prayers is not doubt. We've established that we all have that from time to time. Um, the problem is when we let those doubts stop us from praying at all. Fact is, you can pray powerful and effective prayers but you got to pray. So say it with me. I can pray powerfully and effectively. Come on. I can pray powerfully and effectively. One more time like you actually mean it. I can pray powerfully and effectively. Look at somebody and say, you can pray powerfully and effectively. You can pray powerfully and effectively. You can pray effectively. Your prayers can make a difference. Your prayer, my prayers can make a difference. So let's pray. Okay. All I'm saying is, if you wait until your heart uh, settles all of your doubts, you'll never pray. But you don't have to. Your doubts don't have to stop you from being an effective prayer warrior. In fact, little old you can pray just as effectively as Mr. Super Saint. All you got to do is believe that he is, believe that he can, and pray that he will. And please don't just take my word for it. Let's look at what the master said. Let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. The leper did not come and say, I know that you're going to do this. So handle it. That's not what he said. He said, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. I know your character. And I know if you will, you can. That's all he said. And Jesus said, that's good enough for me. And he healed him. Look at Matthew 9, the context of the verse we read a minute ago. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. He asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Did he ask them, do you believe that I'm going to do this? No, that's not what he asked them. He asked them, do you believe that I am and that I can? And are you willing to ask me too? That's what he said. And they said, yes, sir. And that was the faith that was required for their prayer to be effective and powerful and for healing to come. They didn't know if he would. They just knew that he could and they were willing to ask. That was enough. So, can we say it again? 
I believe, come on, I believe God is. I believe God can. I don't always know if he will, but I'm willing to pray that he will. There's so many illustrations and stories that I could tell you. Uh, we could stick around all afternoon and I could tell you stories of this kind of praying. And please hear me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with claiming something in prayer. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with prophetic prayer. If you've got the faith to operate at that level, have at it. I'm just saying you ain't got to go to that level to get God to work. All you got to do is believe he is, he can, and you're willing to ask that he will. One of my favorite stories on this subject, an illustration from my own life, was several years ago when the church that we were leading in Chesapeake, Virginia, had been in mobile uh, we'd been meeting in schools. We met in eight different auditoriums in the first 10 years. We'd grow and move and grow and move and grow and move, and it was getting really, really hard. Uh, but all during that time, we are looking for land. We are looking for a permanent place uh, as far as an earthly place uh, for the church, and we couldn't find anything. Everything we found was either too expensive or not available. And so we searched. We put a team together. We searched for three years for land, and we couldn't find it. And finally, uh, we had one piece of land we thought we were going to get a handle on. None of us felt really great about it, but it was all there was available. And then the corporation that owned it said, we've decided not to sell the property. We've decided to develop it ourselves. And so that Sunday morning, I got up, and I told the congregation what was going on. And I said, so, guys, we're just going to pray. Tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock. Uh, Monday morning, show up, come down, and, and let's pray uh, to God. And, and everybody in the church showed up for that Monday morning 6 o'clock prayer meeting. If you believe that, you should doubt it. <laughs> Handful of people showed up at 6 o'clock Monday morning. We prayed for three hours. And what we prayed during that prayer is, okay, God, we don't know what you're doing. We don't fully understand it. We've done everything we know to do. We've searched everywhere we know to search. We've talked to everybody we know to talk to. We don't know what to do, but this is your church, therefore it's your problem. You want us to stay in rented facilities, we will. If you want to provide us with land, you will. We know who you are. We know what you can do. We're just putting it in your hands. And that was the extent of the prayer. Noon that day, a realtor walked into my office and said, Pastor, I understand you're looking for land. And I said, yeah. He said, would you like to have this piece of property? He held up an aerial photo of a 25-acre tract that I'd been looking at for a long time. I'd actually talked to the owner a couple of times. He wanted $2.5 million for it. We were a church of about 350 people at the time. There's no way we're spending $2.5 million on a piece of property, and we still don't even have any buildings on it. And so I said, I wish I could. I just don't have the money for that. And he said, well, I happen to know that the developer that owns this piece is in trouble with his creditors, and he needs $500,000 to get out from under those creditors' thumb. Uh, I believe I could get this for you for $500,000 if you wanted. I said, where do I sign? <laughs> Sure enough, we bought that land at 20% of market value. Three months later, a realtor called me and said, I'd like to buy your property from you. I'll give you $2.5 million for it. And I said, hmm, this land's in the kingdom of God now. It ain't coming out. <laughs> Did we know what God was going to do? No, we didn't have a clue what he was going to do. We just knew he was there. We knew he cared. We knew he had the power to fix it, and we just put it in his hands and said, God, this is your problem. And he showed up in ways that are greater than we dare to dream or think or ask. Listen, what I'm trying to say to you is you don't have to be free from doubt to be an effective, powerful prayer warrior. All you have to have is the level of faith that says, God, I know 
you're there, and I know you can, I'm willing to ask you to move on this situation. Hear me, guys. All of hell trembles when a group of people learn that they don't have to settle all of their doubts in order to be effective, powerful prayer warriors. You just have to understand the truth about doubts. You have to learn how much faith is enough. And then, number three, simply, is you must take up the rally cry of the prayer warriors. So you're ready to say it with me? Let's say it together. I believe God is, I believe God can, and I'm going to pray that God will. One more time. I believe God is, I believe God can, and I'm going to pray that God will. That's it. That's it. Watch God do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, you know who we are. You know that we're dust, but we're created in your image with this amazing capacity to know your heart, to be in relationship with you, to commune with you, to come boldly before the throne of grace, not because of our righteousness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us. You give us free access to come to you. And the truth is, Lord, we have needs. We have decisions that we need to make, and we're not sure the best decision. We have circumstances that are overwhelming, and we're not sure the way through. We have needs, financial, physical, emotional. We don't know how they're going to be met. We need you. And so here we are, your children, simply saying, I know you're there. I know you can. There is no problem in my life that's bigger than you. I'm asking you to show up. I'm asking you to be God in this circumstance. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to personalize that prayer very specifically this morning. I'm going to ask you to take just a second. You probably already have, but just to be sure, take a second and think of a circumstance that you need God to show up. Maybe you've been praying specific prayers of what you hope God's going to do and you're trusting God to do, or maybe you're not even sure what the solution is, but you know you've got a problem that's bigger than you. Whatever, I want you to get it in your mind. I've got one. Get one, okay? Then I want us to pray this prayer together, knowing by the authority of God's word, this can be a powerful, effective prayer. God, you know my circumstance. You know my need. I believe you're there. I believe you can do something about this. In fact, I believe you can do more than I dare to dream or think or ask about this. I believe you're bigger than my problem. And so I'm asking you to show up powerfully. I'm asking you to be God in that circumstance. And when you do, I will give you the thanks. I will give you the praise. I will praise your name forever. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. If there's anyone in this room that the, the issue that came to your mind is, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus. I hear you guys saying stuff about him that sounds good, interesting, but I'm not sure I have a personal relationship with him. Then, then the prayer is the same. Just pray that prayer with me. God, I believe you're there. I believe you can help me to know you. I believe you can give me a fresh start. I believe you can forgive me of my sins. And I'm asking you to do just that. I'm asking you to heal me. Give me a fresh start today as a follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.